This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. Today we've got news for federal retirees, so listen up. Lawmakers are trying to change a couple of things about the annual cost of living adjustments, or COLAs. They've reintroduced bills to get them done. One would give FERS retirees a full COLA, and the other would change how the COLA is calculated in the first place. Now, these bills have both been introduced before, and they would have big implications for federal retirees. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman joins me now to sort all of this out. And let's start with the Equal COLA Act. Drew, what exactly would this one do? And who's behind it? So, Tom, I'll just say to start, just in case anyone isn't aware, the COLA is something that is designed to keep federal and military retirees and Social Security recipients on par with inflation. And it's something that's automatically adjusted annually based on the CPIW price index. So, the bill would essentially make the COLA amount equal between federal retirees on both the civil service retirement system and retirees on the federal employees retirement system. Right now, federal the FERS retirees get up to 1% below the full COLA amount, while SERS retirees get the do get the full COLA. So this is something that, as you said, has been introduced a couple of times at least, and it's something that a lot of lawmakers, advocacy groups, federal unions have pushed for to kind of change this for FERS retirees, which is by now pretty much the majority of federal retirees. And there was a rationale for that differential at one time because SERS people don't get Social Security unless they go out into the private sector, which many of them did or still do if the few left and get a job and get Social Security from their second career. But in theory, they got a larger annuity instead of Social Security, whereas FERS got a smaller annuity, but you get Social Security, which has a COLA. So there's like COLA plus COLA. That was the rationale here. And so what's the rationale for changing it? It's something where, you know, the, the argument from people who are proponents of this bill say that, you know, it's something that's intended to account for inflation. And by reducing it for FERS retirees, it just doesn't make sense. It should be based on inflation and not based on their individual, how their uh, retirement system functions. There's, you know, the, the history of changing over the retirement systems is pretty interesting. And it is true that FERS retirees have different, a more diverse approach to retirement. They have Social Security benefits, like you said. They also have the Thrift Savings Plan, and they get a up to a 5% government matching rate. So there are benefits, but I think that the bottom line is, you know, they're saying that's not really the point. That's not enough to balance it out. So that's that's why they're reintroducing this legislation. This idea of getting up to 1% less than the full COLA each year, how does that get decided? Is it 0.5% less, 1% less? Yeah, good question. It, it depends on what the COLA is each year. So if the COLA increases less than 2%, FERS retirees do receive the full COLA. If the COLA itself is between 2 and 3%, then FERS retirees receive 2%. And if the COLA increases more than 3%, FERS retirees receive 1% less than whatever that full COLA amount is. So take, for example, 
the 2023 COLA, cost right, of living adjustment. Right, that's a pretty hefty one. It's well above that 3% threshold. It's at 8.7% this year. It's the highest percentage increase actually in over 40 years. So FERS retirees, though, in this year's COLA did get just a 7.7% adjustment for that. All right. Yes, well, in times of high inflation, these questions do tend to come back a lot. And there's advocates on both sides of this. And I mean, some people are saying, well, why bother with legislation? It's not that big a difference, half a percent, one percent. Right. It's uh, I think it, it sounds small in theory, but advocates of the legislation against pe- groups such as the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, they kind of pointed out that when the reduction uh, compounds over multiple years, it can account for tens of thousands of dollars for a lot of these first retirees and for some people even more. So if you're looking over the course of an entire retirement and not just maybe 1% for one year, it can become a lot more over you know, 10, 20, 30, It compounds years. over the decades. In exactly. Other words, over the years, exactly. sure. Half a percent, half a percent each year. Pretty soon you're 5% behind. Right. It's so I think it's something that a lot of people have been pushing for. It was a dem- a Democrat, Jerry Connolly, who introduced the bill, and a lot of Democrats have backed it. But uh, we'll, so we'll kind of just see how it plays out. And again, it's something that is not a new bill, and it hasn't really gotten anywhere in the past. So we'll see how things turn out this year if it's going to be any different. And I can guess the answer to this, but the unions are probably in favor of this change to give a little scrunch up to the FERS employees. Right. It's something that unions and advocacy groups, kind of as I've said before, they have been pushing for this for quite a while. It's been a long-standing pain point for them, and they're just continuing to support it. It's The disparity has been around since FERS has existed, for as long as FERS has existed. So it's something that's been pushed for for just as long. All right. And then there's the other bill, the Fair Cola for Seniors Act. FCSA. I guess that doesn't say anything. It's just FCSA. How would this change the COLA and who would it affect? So this one is a little bit broader of a bill. This would change what price index the COLA is based on. So it would switch it to the what's called the Consumer Price Index for the Elderly, which focuses on spending of individuals who are ages 62 and older. That index has a greater emphasis on healthcare spending, which is something that people who are 62 and older generally spend like a greater percentage of their money on. So, And it's also notable that the Fair Cola for Seniors Act, in terms of federal retirees, would provide this same change in the price index for both SERS and FERS retirees. Right. The basis of the calculation in the market basket used for COLA, that seems to be just an ongoing controversy. There are those that say, look at an objective market basket and keep it that way for everyone. Then there's the behaviorists that say when prices are rising, people's behavior changes. And so let's base the COLA on how the likely behavioral changes will affect spending patterns. I don't know which one is right. I mean, who doesn't want the one that gives more money? But then there is a public taxpayer that's ultimately paying for all of this. So that becomes the question. Right. Yeah, it is it is an interesting question. And, you know, it is not something that's new. Again, it's a bill that was in, has been introduced for, I think, at least a decade at this point, but in different types of in different forms. But the CPIW, the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers, 
that's what the COLA is currently based on. And as you said, it's it's a broader index, a broader price index on the, based on market spending. So, you know, I think the advocates of the bill say that it would just provide a more accurate description or a more accurate way to calculate the COLA. And while things are rearing their heads once again, trying to find the sunlight, there is, of course, the Social Security reform with respect to the evil twins of the offsets. And what's the current status now on that one? So we've seen the Social Security Fairness Act get reintroduced again this Congress. It's a bill that's been around for decades, but has not ever been enacted, of course. But it did gain a lot more support than usual last Congress. It got the number of co-sponsors required to push it to a floor vote. Ultimately, it went to a committee hearing instead and didn't actually get enacted or passed. But I think that last Congress's kind of push in that direction shows that there might be some shift coming up. So it'll be interesting to see if this would actually go through this year after it's been advocated for for so long. Well, if it couldn't get through a Congress when the Democrats had both houses with a Democrat in the White House, does it have any chance at all this time around? That's a good question. I think that's more just a, a wait and see question. But I don't know. We'll just have to we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, because again, the so-called evil twins did have a rationale because the idea was if you didn't get money contributed to Social Security, you know, why should you get it later on is, is the basic rationale for what are now known as the evil twins. And so there is a philosophical question here. It's not simply a finance question. Again, I'm not taking sides on which one is right. But the people that push back on that do have a statutory and historical basis for doing so. No, I think that, you know, there is an argument on both sides to be made, but there definitely is bipartisan support for this bill. The number is 305 co-sponsors from last Congress. So right now, I think it has around 60 or 70 for this year's version of the bill. So, right. you know, again, it, there are arguments on both sides, but it seems like there is a pretty big push to try to get this enacted. And of course, this all comes in the context of the argument now that based on what Joe Biden said about what Republicans, he said, they said about Social Security. And, you know, against the backdrop of all that is the fact that the trust funds, I mean, this is the calculation that everyone is looking at, but no one will talk about, will be insolvent within a decade. And so that means Social Security, either the benefits will have to be cut if you follow what is exactly available that's only in the trust funds, or just general appropriations go toward Social Security, when in fact, in reality, it's always been a pay-as-you-go system. There was a fiction started in the 1930s that you had accounts and this trust fund, but it's all accounting. The money is the government has this much money come in, and it has three times that much money go out every year, and that's where we are. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's a sad debate. Nobody wants to cut Social Security. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be taking it myself in a couple of years. But you also want solvency for the country. So, And I've had this debate with a lot of people that say Social Security is, is a socialist system, you know, because the government is giving out the pension. I said, well, no, because everyone that works is taxed. of their salary for their entire working life to put into a system, and their employer was taxed 6% to go into it. So it's not as if the money comes from heaven. In theory, we all did pay in, so I don't know what the answer is. Right. I mean, I don't have an answer for you either, Tom, but... But uh, I wish our politicians (laughs) would talk about it seriously as grown-ups, and I haven't seen that in the past 25 years. Mm. That was before you were born. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. 
we should point out you are doing a really good job of staying on top of the many, many developments here for federal workers, federal employees, federal retirees. And be sure to read everything she writes at federalnewsnetwork.com, right? Thanks, Tom. And we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll hear from John Hatton of the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Tom Temin. The National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, known as NARF, has a good handle on the pulse of the federal workforce and what it's concerned with at a given moment. Earlier, I spoke with NARF's Staff Vice President for Policy and Programs, John Hatton, who gave a brief introduction to the organization itself. So we have around 140,000 members across the country. We're in every congressional district, every state uh, in the country. Our members are mostly retirees, um, but we have active employee members as well. Uh, and people typically start to look at NARF membership as they're thinking about retirement. Now, we welcome people in prior to that, too. But we provide a lot of resources in terms of how to deal with your federal benefits. So, you know, what mistakes not to make when applying for retirement, when to retire, what benefits plans to choose on the health benefits side. So, in addition to our uh, advocacy, we do that benefits advice. Uh, I oversee both of those programs for NARF, both our advocacy and federal benefits. And, and yeah, but our members span basically every agency of the federal government, every branch, both blue collar and professional. Yeah, that was my union, question. Is so. it mostly management, or do you have some of the people that were in AFGE and NTEU, yeah. or just a mixture? We have a mixture. So we have people um, in in both. Really, we have both union and management backgrounds, and so we really focus on government wide policies rather than specific sure. uh, agency based policies, unless it's something that could be a precedent-setting type policy. Yeah, they say the grave levels everyone. I suppose you could say that (laughs) of retirement also. Yeah, (laughs) it does. And among the top issues, I think it's fair to say right now that you're looking at and what federal employees are looking nervously at is the (laughs) debt limit debate, the use of the extraordinary measures, and each time around in recent years, these types of things like government shutdowns seem to take a step further than the last time right. into unknown territory. Yeah. So, first of all, extraordinary measures. The debt limit actually was hit on January 19th. Um, when that happens to prevent default, the Treasury Department implements these extraordinary measures. Now, I, we often get a lot of heartache from our members about what does that mean because they are using the Civil Service Retirement and Disability Fund and the TSP's G Fund, uh, they're using some accounting gimmicks on those to prevent default for federal government. Right. That's the, a good word, accounting yeah. <laughs> gimmick, because all of the money, I mean, the only real money that's cash is people's TSP accounts. Right. The rest of it is all like Social Security. It's all just one big smush of money right. that's either in the form of tax receipts or debt that the government right. generates. Yeah, the Civil Service Retirement Disability Fund is all special issues for Treasury Securities the same way the Social Security uh, Trust Fund is. And so, no one's ever missed a payment on their annuities. No one's ever not been able to take out their money from the TSP um, because of this. And 
both funds have always been made whole at the end of it. So we don't like the fact that these extraordinary measures are used, but we're not panicking about it. We don't think our members should panic about it. What we're a little bit more concerned about is this being part of a debate over budget cuts and spending cuts that could implicate federal retirement um, and health benefits. Right, and but there's no evidence that will happen yet. But not yet. But um, clearly, there's a push for spending cuts in exchange for an increase in the debt limit. Now, President Biden saying, "I'm not going to negotiate over the debt limit," but we also have to look ahead to the next fiscal year, and really the next two fiscal years, and having a budget to provide for federal agency spending. And so, there's going to be negotiations over that anyway, which could also lead to spending cuts. And so, I'm seeing this as more of a similar scenario as to when sequestration was put in place. And when they wanted to get rid of sequestration, they had to have mandatory spending cuts. Among the ones that are on the table from think tanks are things like eliminating or reducing cost of living adjustments to federal retiree annuities. Right. So people would get you know their basic annuity or get their basic pay. The question is beyond that. And everything's on the table, really. Right. Yeah, we've seen these proposals in the past. We expect to see them again. They're in some leading think tank proposals. They have not been proposed by Congress yet. But you know, you saw at the State of the Union, President Biden making clear that they don't want to do Social Security and Medicare cuts, and the Republicans were very clear that they didn't want to be um, for that either. And so, when you take those two big spenders off the table on the mandatory side, uh, there's not a lot left, and federal benefits are one of those things that they could get a lot of money for. So, whether that becomes part of a proposal and whether it actually has a chance of becoming law are two different questions, but I do think it will be part of the debate. We're speaking with John Hatton. He's Staff Vice President for Policy and Programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. And another question I wanted to ask you about is your work for COLA's cost of living adjustments specifically for the FERS retirees. Right. There's many, many, I mean, almost most of the federal workforce working now is under the FERS system. Right. And so that's really, you know, the uh, melon ball has gone through the goose's neck with respect to CSRS <laughs> for this, right. almost. Yeah. So one of the things we're working on is uh, for FERS retirees, when inflation is higher than 2%, they don't get the full COLA. They get um, either 2% if it's in between 2 and 3 or it reduced by 1%. So this year, CSRS and Social Security got an 8.7% COLA, FERS got 7.7%. And now that 1%, oh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but you compound that over time, over the course of your entire retirement, and it could be, just for the average FERS retiree, it's tens of thousands of dollars. And if you have a higher annuity, it's going to be even more than that. So we've been working with some partners in Congress to try to change that. So there's a bill that was just introduced uh, recently this month, the COLA Act by Connolly and Padilla in the Senate. And so we're trying to push that and try to gain support for that bill. Right. And it's hard to know what the bipartisan support for that really is, because often divided as it is, some Republicans in Congress do come to the side of federal employees and their advocates advocate. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely a subset of Republicans in Congress that are that are good on these issues. Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania has been uh, a lead sponsor of a lot of these bills. And, and so, you know, we're trying to obviously gain as much support as we can and on both sides of the aisle. And um, it's not always uh, an even amount on both sides, but we can get people on the Republican side on board. And an interesting issue which does originate on the Republican side is that so-called Schedule F and there's a bill for that. It's almost, in some ways, like looking at a nasty orangutan. <laughs> it could really do you harm if it got hold of you. But because of divided Congress, that forms a kind of cage around it. But 
What's the latest on Schedule F, and what's your position? I can guess on Schedule F. <laughs> well, we're, we're opposed to Schedule F, and you know that was the that was created through executive order at the end of the Trump administration to create this large, broad exception to the civil service, and that never really had the time to be implement, implemented. Then, when Biden came in, it was rescinded within his first week of office. Um, but it's gotten more attention um, on both sides of the aisle whether to codify it from some Republicans, from it's gotten attention in the news in terms of bringing it back if a new administration comes in after Biden. So there's been a lot of pushback from NARF, other allies uh, out off the Hill, plus allies on the Hill uh, to try to prevent that from coming back. So um, right now, there's no danger of that coming back. But if there's a switch in administrations, there is. And what we've been trying to do is get legislation passed to prevent that from ever happening. Right. I guess it's tied up with other issues about you know some of the hearings we've seen on the alleged weaponization of the FBI and earlier arguments over whether IRS has become politicized and what an administration's policy is, how well it translates into what the agency does. That's it's mixed up in bigger questions than just the Schedule F itself. Well, in some ways, I, questions I, I wish it was more mixed up because if there's accusations of politicization of federal agencies, you shouldn't want to make it more political by <laughs> uh, undermining the competitive civil service, which the main intention is to prevent the politicization. So we certainly try to make the argument to conservatives that this is a good check on abuse of government power and not, and not an expansion of it. Sure. We'll see what happens with that bill. But yeah, I think that's going to be debated. And it's kind of one of those things that's going to rear its head from time to time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, being reintroduced, uh, I believe, this week. Uh, Kane in the Senate and Connolly in the House, um, also with Fitzpatrick on board in the House. Uh, it, it, there was a push to include it in the National Defense, Defense Authorization Act last year. Uh, it did not get in. It did not have bipartisan support. And- All right. And I wanted to ask you what you're hearing on a more practical matter from members with respect to access quality of customer service, ability, and functionality of the Thrift Savings Plan website. This seems to be just a festering situation, judging from the email I get and the detail (laughs) that people are giving me about what they're specifically trying to do. Yeah, we're continuing to hear issues from our members with the TSP, and they rolled out a new system after Memorial Day last year, and there were a number of problems with people logging onto the new system, loss of historical data, some other data transfer issues like loss of beneficiary designations, even if the TSP said they had that in their paper files. Now people are finding some confusion with the required minimum minimum distributions that we're taking at the end of the year. Uh, There are some issues with people being able to take fixed installments. So I think at the start of this year, when people have needed to check in on the TSP, people who never logged in last year are now having those same issues. You know, the TSP has been aware of these issues. They've certainly been trying to address them, increasing call center staff, but it takes time to train people up and have them be able to service people effectively. So their problems have not yet been fully solved. Right. It seems like they're bearing the brunt of bad work on their contractor because they're ramping up the ranks of their phone staff Right. because people can't do what they want to do at the website. And I've had right. reports where people will say, well, the person on on the phone tried to do the same thing and came back and said, you're right, it can't be done. Right. So great to have someone tell you that verbally, <laughs> but the website seems to be the issue that's intractable here. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a new system. And the main reason they 
brought in this new system, this new record-keeping system, was because of some of the back-end technology. But for many users, they were happy with the old system. <laughs> and so now having a, a less, to them, user-friendly system has, has created problems. So it could be, yeah, certainly the contractor may be an issue. There is a um, There will be a government accountability office uh, examination of what went wrong here. So we're certainly looking for more answers, and we hope the TSP continues to work on improving customer service. John Hatton, Staff Vice President for Policy and Programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association. That's it for this week's FedLife. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.